Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, February 11th. Proenza schoolers Jack McCullough and Lazaro Hernandez first hit the fashion scene in 2002, when Julie Gillihart, then the influential fashion director of Barney's New York, bought their Parsons senior thesis collection. The next year... Vogue's Anna Wintour helped them stage their first proper show. And the rest, as they say, is American fashion history. But their journey has had its ups and downs with multiple investors and buyouts, it bags and it girls, and persistent rumors about the future of Proenza Schooler and where it will go next. Earlier this week, our chief correspondent Lauren Sherman published a definitive piece of analysis examining exactly that question, called The Nine Lives of Proenza Schooler. This week on the BOF Podcast, I'm delighted to share some of Lauren's conversation with Jack and Lazaro, with plenty of lessons for anyone trying to build a new fashion business. Here's Jack McCullough and Lazaro Hernandez on the BOF Podcast. Thank you both for being here. You are about to celebrate your 20th year in business, and that's more looking in the fall of 2022. But you know, looking back, 2018 was a real turning point for your business. You bought it back from your previous investors. You brought on a new investor and you were kind of embarking on this, this new era of Bronza Schooler and then the pandemic happened. So can you kind of walk me through what the last three years have been for you all and, and how you've managed through this, you know, incredibly tough time for, for the industry and the world at large? It's a pretty loaded question, Lauren. <laughs> the last three years, it's been a pretty intense three years, to say the least, between 
everything we've been through and the pandemic and and all that. But um, I guess pre-pandemic, let's go back to 2018 to start. I mean, maybe we should go back to 2002, actually, to the very beginning. You know, when we started, it was a different time, a different era. I don't know. We were one of these kind of, we were lucky. You know, I, I don't know how else to explain it. We had great success early on. We got to make exactly what we wanted. And, you know, we were, we came out of art school. We were interested in pushing boundaries and being creative. And we came out of that school where, you know, it was all about creativity and pushing boundaries and, and flexing your design know-how and all that. And I think those are the qualities that sort of like got us noticed. You know, we were 20, 21 years old at the time. So it's wild to think that we were that young um, doing what we we're doing. And it was wild. We were getting like top 10 collections in the world by women's wear and Vogue. And all the editors were coming to our show around the world. And it was just, it was so hardcore and so wild. And, you know, we felt the need that season after season, we had to keep pushing it and keep impressing and bigger and bigger and bigger. And while sales were growing, definitely, um, you know, our spending was growing faster than, than we were um, bringing in. So, you know, in the early beginning, I don't know, like, again, we chalk it up to, to luck. People were, you know, writing checks with their name on it and we were cashing them. And that's how, you know, what we were interested in is, is like, what's the next collection? What's the next collection? Like, what are we going to do to, to push it forward and push ourselves creatively? And it was all about that. Like, how are we going to just keep going, keep going? So, we, yeah, we're taking money from people and cashing checks. And that was sort of where our heads were at. Again, we were like 21, 22 years old at the time, which to us is, you know, so crazy now to think about we're babies. But as a result of that, over the years, um, you know, as we took more money from people, um, we started getting more investors and, and the board of directors started to grow after every investment, someone else would come on. So there was a point by 2018 where the board of directors was quite large and in charge and we weren't. And that's when sort of shit hit the fan. <laughs> Can Jack, we say do you shit? have anything to add to, to shit hitting the fan? <laughs> I don't have anything to add to shitting the fan, but you know, it's just to go back to the beginning, what Lazarus was speaking of. I mean, it was, it was a really interesting time, those early days, you know, not only were we trying to push boundaries and, and, and push ourselves and, and evolve as designers. We were trying to figure out who we were during those times as well. Um, you know, it's weird when you kind of start a company at such a young age and you're still trying to figure out who you are, yet you've got to kind of figure out a lot of that stuff, like in the spotlight in some ways, which, you know, is difficult for us to look back on certain collections from those days. I think we were really exploring, to Lazarus' point, and experimenting with different things and really trying to figure out who we are. I'd say a big difference is now is I think it's a lot more clear as to who we are and who our woman is. And, and we're just we're just a lot more focused in on it as, as we've got a little more years behind our belt. But, you know, we romanticized those times as well. It was, it was a really beautiful moment and just felt like energetically really, really exciting. You know, there was so much newness, so much territory to explore. So you took investment, what, four, six years into the business from Valentino Fashion Group. Mm -hmm. Thinking about that, it was an exciting time. You all were becoming really famous. Your collections were revered. 
you were a top global brand already and probably, you know, not, I think the numbers that were circled around that time was like $25 million a year in sales or what have you. So your brand was so much bigger than the size of the business. At that point, like that first check, why did you take it? I'm sure that you had different options. Valentino Fashion Group, I could see why that would be the option you would go with. But why did you say, let's take some money? Did you feel financial pressure? Did you feel pressure to be really big? What was the motivation behind it? I mean, I think it's, you know, going back to like us being creative people, first and foremost, those early years, it was really about keeping the lights on. We were, we were you know, again, because of, you know, people considered us like, you know, one of the big brands and we were just kids and it wasn't a big brand at all. We were just putting on shows and, and that was what was important to us. And every season we had to like outdo what we did the season before. We kept building on, on our craft and our, our technical know-how and, and the shows got bigger and the whole thing just be, every season got bigger and bigger and bigger. And that required money. Um, that we was weren't definitely weren't making. And what's interesting, what happened, and you know, this happens to a lot of people, I think, and, and over the history of fashion is, you know, you start getting technically sophisticated and season after season, you start kind of trying to outdo yourself. And little by little, you start creating these clothes that are like amazing on the runway. Like the editors were sort of like, you know, loving and, and, and into, and they were kind of more theatrical or more designed for maybe the pages of, of a magazine or, or to impress, you know, the people that were sitting in the front row and all that. And like all that was, you know, the fashion game that was super important to us. But, you know, I think as you start pushing the boundaries of what is possible, there is a risk of losing the woman, the customer. At the end of the day, these are clothes that are meant to be worn and sold and, and the clothes are getting really expensive. And, and then the more you like bond and laser cut and do this and embroideries. And I think 2018, go ahead, Jack. No, I was just going to say, I think um, the way we approached the business back or the way we approached our focus back in the day, we were, we were mostly focused on the shows and those collections and really, like Lazarus said, pushing the boundaries on design and innovation and materiality and all of that. But the other facets of the business, I think we were just less focused on, like the commercial collection, for example, we weren't that involved with it. It didn't really have much to do with the show collection. I mean, it was riffing off ideas of the show collection, but ultimately when you came into the showroom, you would see the show collection hanging there, which we poured our heart and soul into, but ultimately was extraordinarily expensive. Um, so I think spoke to a very small range of people. Um, and then you had our commercial collection, which we didn't really put our hands on. And, and, and so I don't think it really had the essence of, of what we're creating for the runway. So I think now we're kind of thinking of the business in a more holistic way. And we're thinking of all kind of facets of what we put out there and how do we make all those things desirable, whether it's a, a basic cashmere sweater or some sort of beaded dress that we're putting in a show. I mean, we like blurring the idea between show collection and commercial collection these days. It's it's almost nice when you don't know if the piece was in the show, or if it's just part of the commercial collection. We're thinking about all those those components now in a very different way than we were before. And as a reaction to that, we are, our business is really succeeding. I think going back to like that 2018 sort of benchmark year, I think that season after season, pushing the boundaries as to like what we can do and what is possible technically, I think, you know, the crescendo of that movement was when the Chambre Syndicale invited us to go show during the Paris Couture, which was, you know, it was pretty amazing that 
that they invited us to go do that. We we're just like two American kids just kind of doing our thing in New York. So we went to Paris and it was sort of, you know, we felt like to us, that was, you know, the pinnacle of embroideries and feather work and massage and, and just kind of really out there experimentation with materiality and, and what is possible on a technical level. And then the second season in Paris, we did the same thing. It was more sort of an American crafts perspective. But I would say like this whole new chapter started when we came back from that episode. And we like to think it's been our, our most important collection we've ever done. Like, you know, it was very divisive and people were like sort of not into it in a way. But um, for us, it's the most important collection we've ever done was like the denim collection. We call it the Issa Genskin collection when we did that collaboration with her. Like that's when we sort of were like, we're just sort of fed up with where we had, where the business was and, you know, what was happening internally with everyone involved and whatnot. It was like a come to Jesus moment. And we sort of, I don't know, it was us closing the door on a chapter in a really sort of aware, we we're very aware of the closing of one chapter and the opening of another chapter. And that's when we said, like, if we're going to keep doing this, it's got to be at our, on our terms and we need control back. And that's when we sort of, um, you know, between Jack and I, we managed to, after a lot of negotiations, we bought the company back and sort of took control and brought in this whole new chapter that we're currently embarked upon. So you graduate, your collection gets bought right out of school. Did you even know what a commercial collection was? And like throughout the years, how hard was that? work of learning because you're not only creative people and designers, you're entrepreneurs. No matter what, if you care about the business side or not, you have to because it's your company. And how much do you feel like those first, you know, 15 years was just learning what all of that stuff was to be able to implement what you're implementing today? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, there was such a huge learning curve on those those early years, and you know, neither Lazaro nor myself ever worked anywhere else coming out of school. I mean, Barney's saw our senior thesis that Lazaro and I collaborated on, and 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 bought that collection, and that's really kind of what what got the whole thing started. It's not really something that was planned out. We kind of you know, fell into it in a lot of ways, but I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of designers have worked other places before start embarking on, on their own project. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of lessons to be had when you work for someone else and you're doing it on someone else's paycheck, you know? So uh, we had to make a lot of those mistakes just with the early years of our company, both creatively and on a business level. Going back, do you wish that you had that experience of working for someone else or and and not just jumped right into it straight out of school? I mean, it's it's hard to kind of like look back at the past and try and rewrite, you know, or or just we don't look back and have so many regrets. I mean, of course, we would have done things differently had we had the knowledge that we have now back in those days. But um, you know, I mean, this it, there was a lot of a lot of curveballs thrown our way, but we also had a great time. And it was, it was a moment of creative exploration. I mean, that's a lot of our ideas that we kind of came up with back in those days. We still kind of bring into the, into the mix and into the picture today. So, um, you know, there's issues with those days, but there's a lot of great things too that have, that have come forward into our lives today. I think everything that happened in the past was to get to where we are today. And, you know, we're in a very, very different place today. I guess we can talk about that later, but um, 
you know, we've completely transformed the business in a profound way since we took control back of our company. I think, you know, to the point that we we're talking before, as we started taking all these investments in back in the day, it just got complicated. There was a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There's a lot of ideas flying around. Our, our voice became little in the organization. And so there was no real direction. And so we were just kind of off doing what we wanted to do and business was off doing what they wanted to do. So it's not until we took the company back in 2018 that we met Kay Hong, which is our, you know, you, you spoke to her last week. She's our, our CEO. And for the first time, we feel like we have sort of like an equal, like what we can do on a design level, she can do on a business level. You know, she's brilliant, Harvard MBA grad, like super intelligent, like has done this, has run multi-billion dollar businesses in the past. Um, she was retired when we met her um, and she was actually a fan of the brand and um, she's young and retired. So, you know, th that, that she's, she's just a, a really smart person. We we're so surprised when she said she wanted to kind of join and and sort of like help us kind of take control and sort of figure out what this new chapter meant. And it was amazing. She came in and together we completely rejigged the entire organization. We we had a new executive team from the bottom up. Logistics were fixed. Shipping stuff was was handled. Production deals were struck with every single factory, every single retailer. She just sort of cleaned up the company from top to bottom. And we really kind of sat down and had these sessions over the course of, you know, six months. We're like, you know, what are we doing? Who is the woman? Who's the customer? What do you guys want to create for? You know, what is white label? What is the bag strategy? What's your retail strategy? Like everything. We kind of retold re the company. It was almost like starting over. We kind of started a new company in 2018 from, you know, we had history and we had a reputation, which is great. But in, in many ways, it was like a startup once again. Uh, and this time with us being in control and with Kay being, you know, her talent started with our, where ours ended and vice versa. And it's just been like this kind of amazing love story. And she's just a badass. And we can't say more nice things about her. She's been game changing. And where we are today is very much a result of, of our partnership with her. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff. 
with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. (coughs) Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. And that started in 2018. And then there was 2019 to get your ducks in a row. And then the pandemic happened. So when that happens, what do you all do? How do you manage it? Does it help you crystallize your vision further? Does it stall things for a while? What what was sort of 2020 like for you and, and going into 2021? What changed? I mean, of, of course, we were in crisis mode the same way uh, I think most companies were. You know, no one really knew what to expect out of this whole thing. No one knew how long it was going to last. And uh, no one really knew how intense it was going to be. Um, thankfully, you know, speaking back to what Lazarus was saying about that first year bringing Kay into the mix and restructuring our executive team and, you know, reworking logistics and shipping and all that stuff. Thank God all that back of house stuff was just in a really strong place. So by the time the pandemic came around, you know, I guess it was kind of mid-March where things got really real. We uh, had shipped the majority of our spring collection at that point. And I know where a lot of other companies had issues where they they were still shipping spring. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of the stores were not taking that merchandise. And so there was a, there was a big issue there. And so I think we were in a great place by the time the the pandemic hit. I mean, of course we were on the phone daily trying to figure out how to restructure things. What do we need to cut in order to make it through this year? And, and it was, it was an intense time. But we feel like we had the business partner to kind of help us get us through it. It was wild. We we're hearing stories about people in New York and friends of ours, um, you know, losing 30, 70 percent of their business, just kind of these wild numbers. And we weren't sure like where the bottom was. And I, I think you reported this um, in the story, but, um, you know, we were down 12 percent. 
you know, we're really proud of that number. And that's because a lot of our deliveries were, you know, we had already been done with production, like Jack said. So we weren't hit with those spring cancellations like a lot of people. And we had, you know, during the 2019 restructure, basically, e-com became super important to us. And we really kind of defined that outlet in a major way. And business kind of migrated online. And we kind of, again, like, you know, we've had these moments of, I don't know, like things you can't plan, like luck, like, you know, from the PS1 bag to like those early investments. And one during the pandemic was this Birkenstock collaboration. We did this thing with Birkenstock and we had planned it like a year before. And um, we were super proud of it. It was like, like that one style. We put it on the runway for that spring collection. And, um, you know, it delivered March 2020, literally the month of the pandemic. <laughs> and we were like, oh my God, like this sucks. We, were, we like, were so bummed out. The energy we poured into that project. And then we're like, oof. I guess this is getting scrapped and it turned out to kind of be the best product for that that moment i mean we were up in the berkshires for six months living in our birkenstocks and we launched and it kind of sold out quite quickly and we reordered and then you know we had our website was a big sort of um, outlet for for that collaboration so the traffic on our website went through the roof because of that and and white labels on it and we had just kind of re- rejigged the concept for white label and it's just basically the same person, just the more casual component of her wardrobe. And so like, that was the first real collection of white labels um, that we had delivered and it was online. And we sort of merchandised the white label with Birkenstocks and, you know, it was like cashmere sweatpants and, and Birkenstocks and, and t-shirts and that kind of thing. And like, just that casual stuff just really kind of took off. The price points were good. And I would say we also had the time to pivot in terms of the next collection that we were putting out there. We had delivered all of spring right before the pandemic hit. And then we were still kind of in work with, with pre-fall and we were able to kind of pivot the, the type of offering. I mean, those, those first six months, especially, but really the whole month of 2020, I'd say from a creative level and a product level, those were, it was definitely a more casual moment, which is why the Birkenstocks, I think, performed so well, as well as this white label, but we were able to pivot the, the offering on the, on a mainline level as well. And kind of put stuff out there that just felt more appropriate for the moment we were living through. Before, when we sort of like, you know, 80% of the entire business was that PS1 bag, you know, we now we have white label mainline shoes and bags, and we have such a diversified uh, business that during different periods in time when different things are happening, we could, you could sort of lean on one division or lean on the other division. And during the pandemic, we're very much able to lean on the white label division and the shoe offer via Birkenstock especially. And that really kind of like helped the company kind of minimize the the impact of 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 the pandemic, and that was all a result of you know the restructuring that we did with K and basically starting over with a more kind of adult um, and 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 smart business model that didn't lack any of the creative. You know that's super important to us as well. So I'm curious to know like where did you all and K decide this is the person we are designing for now and, you know, for the, for the distant future? I don't know. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways back in the day, like we used to make clothes that our friends who are editors and stylists and, and all those people um, wanted to shoot. It was, it was clothes for, for magazines. It was clothes for our friends, but clothes that they would want to shoot or style or work with. And in a way, we're still talking to those people, but now we're making clothes that they want to wear. And that's been kind of a game-changing thing, you know? And as as the editorial world has become less important, I don't know, it's that coupled with us kind of growing up. And the truth is, Lauren, that 
since the beginning. Like, I don't know, we were given all of these sort of accolades and, and all that stuff. And, you know, for sure, all that, you know, the CFDA awards that we got, like all those, that felt great. And, and that was something that, you know, really inspired us and kept us pushing further and whatnot. But like for a long time, like the business success has evaded us and we were just at a fit at a point in our life in 2018 we're like you know what we've done that it's been awesome like we did it we're interested in like what's next and it's for us it's creating like a sound scalable business that's independent and that you know our voice is heard within it and finally today we're seeing real major growth and that feels amazing that's one thing we've never been able to do until really recently when we talked last week, Case said that you're break even in 2021 and you're on the path to profitability in 2022. Is that the first time in the business that that you'll be profitable? I think we were profitable back in like the mid days, but you know it's been like we've always been like in and out, in and out of that. But and it's been I think when the PS1 like had its like major heyday, we were like I think there know, was a year or two where we were like you know just touching the surface, but. You know, our expenses were just out of control back in those days. I definitely think we could have been a lot more profitable back in those days if we were smarter with how we were spending our money. These days just feel really different. It sounds like having the structure on the business side has allowed you to develop your creativity or take a breather from having all that pressure mounting of, we took this investment or we need to hit this next sales goal or what have you. Do you feel a little less pressure in that way because Kay is there and and you seem to really trust her? I mean, we definitely feel less pressure on the business and back of house side of things. I mean, we used to get pulled into all the nuances of that back in the day. And to be honest, it's not really our forte, nor is it like our, our strength. Obviously, we're involved with every aspect of the company but we don't feel like we have to micromanage anything, nor should we be micromanaging because we wouldn't know <laughs> the best way forward with a lot of those things. But, you know, we, we work in a true partnership with Kay, which I think is amazing. It, it's, I think the most important thing a designer could have is a strong business part, part, like counterpart um, and a partner that they could work alongside with where you're fully aligned with the vision and the strategy and, and how you want to take things forward, but you're able to then go off and focus on, on what you do best. I, we feel so much more creatively inspired in a lot of ways today because we're able to have the time to focus on, on what we do best. And maybe less pressure to like season after season, reinvent the wheel. I think there was a moment in time where, you know, as creative people, we would be interested in this thing or then that thing. And then we saw this thing that caught our attention. So it was all about that for us. And so we kind of like bounced around a lot in the early days. And I think to like the audience or to like the consumer specifically, they were like, you know, like they were into something one season and then they came back next season to like buy more of that thing. But like the direction had shifted and it was all about this the following season. I think fashion was very much like that in those days in some ways. I think in the last couple of years where we've done um, the exercise we've done is like really kind of set up guardrails, like, you know, and sort of we can be 100% creative, but within these very specific guardrails and that sort of exercise has been game changing. We've defined our brand, our woman, like how we create and within those, you know, guards, we can sort of do whatever we want, but it's very much speaking to like the same sort of woman. And we're less interested in like a revolution from season to season. It's more about like uh, an evolution. And I don't know, there's just like a quiet confidence in how we feel these days. And we're happy just kind of doing our thing and not having to like sort of like scream anymore. 
and like trying to be noticed. Like that was fun when we were super young, but I think we're in a different place right now. Every day on the business of fashion, every week I write about the consolidation of the industry and and the growing influence and power of these big groups, you know, ones that you you all are very familiar with that I'm sure you've had conversations with, et cetera. But it seems to be harder and harder for independent fashion brands, not only in the US, but everywhere. But we are the country of entrepreneurship. So there are many of them. It seems to be hard to stand alone. Even if you have investment, it's a challenge. You're going up against these big groups that have real estate. They have massive marketing budgets. They have influence over retailers, the retailers that are left to have the prime space on the store floor or what have you. And I could see if you were coming out of school right now or even 10 years out of school and want to launch your own business, being really discouraged by that. It feels like it's harder than ever to have an independent brand and be profitable and and make a living. What advice do you have for people who want to build their own thing, but understand that the chances of them being bought up by one of these businesses is less and less likely every day? How do you think people who want to go into this should approach it? Do you think that they should forget about it? Or or do you think like if someone's just really determined to have their own brand, what are kind of the big things that they should be thinking about? I think first and foremost, like there's no point in starting a brand unless you really have like a a vision and a vision that's different from anyone else's vision. It's got to be something that sets you apart from what everyone else is doing. Otherwise, it's just going to blend into all the other stuff. So I I think that's really crucial. What would you add to that, Lazaro? I would say that resist the temptation to take on investment early on, I think. You know, if we could have done it differently in the early years, it would have been like what we're doing now. You know, we're we feel so damn lucky that we were able to have like a second go at this because now we're you know the plan is to grow through our own profits. We're going to grow organically, and and as we make money, we'll spend money and we'll invest in growth, and and it'll be on our own terms. And and if you know if, if, if like an incredible opportunity presents itself down the line, like that that could be interesting for sure. We'll consider that, but it'll be nice to have that conversation from a position of power and not needing it versus, you know, back in the day when we sort of had to take what we, what they gave us because we're in a position of weakness. So I think growing, you know, organically from your own profits and whatnot is for sure the way to go. And I think there's a lot of businesses that are completely healthy and are independent or maybe not like a billion dollar business that are going up against the Gucci's of the world and whatnot. But I think that's okay. I think, as long as it makes you creatively happy, as long as the company's turning a profit is well run, I think there's a future for independence. And I think also like another opportunity is like, I know there's like this whole conversation about like the death of wholesale, but like, I don't think that's true. I think as big brands, as like, you know, as Prada leaves all those big wholesalers, those doors, like, you know, those are huge stores that need to fill their stores with product. And like, those are multi-billion dollar businesses, the Saks, the Nordstrom's, the Neiman's, the, you know, the burgers for the world, like, just in America alone, like they need product. And as those people are exiting those wholesale models, like that creates a real opportunity for for independence. And so, you know, wholesale is still an important channel for us and and will continue to be so until like we can create a DTC channel that can rival that. But, you know, we're growing steadily and quickly 
um, within those um, channels. And that's been a huge you know, source of our growth in the last few years. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for independence. I think what's crucial is, though, is, is just that slow build and not jumping into everything immediately and, and overspending and then being in a position of weakness and needing to fundraise and, and losing, losing control of the company. Um, I think the beauty of, of today's world that's very different from when we started is things are just so much more fluid. There's not this kind of pre-described notion of how you're meant to do things and the path you're meant to follow. I think back when we started, we were expected to have shows. We're expected to put up pre-collections, you know, have a, a bag line, accessories, whatever, advertise, all sorts of things that sometimes I wish we didn't jump into as quickly as we had. And today's world is just a lot more fluid. You could put things out off calendar. You could put little capsules out. There's different. There's so many different ways of doing things now. And I think there's a lot of advantages to, to this this new chapter. Thank you both so much for taking the time both this week and and our long interview last week. If you are interested in hearing more from Proenza Schooler, I have a feeling you are, be sure to check out my piece on businessoffashion.com. It goes deep into the history of their business and and what they're up to now. Good luck on the show to both of you. I'm sure it's going to be great. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this conversation with Jack and Lazaro from Proenza Schooler on the BOF podcast. To read Lauren Sherman's in-depth BOF professional article, The Nine Lives of Proenza Schooler, please look for a link in the episode notes. We'll see you back here next week. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.